Welcome to Inspire to Code at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Please welcome our guest moderator for tonight, Ed Perkins. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for coming out tonight. We really appreciate it, and we hope you'll uh, take something away from it. Uh, we will have time at the end for questions, so please be thinking of them throughout. Uh, without any further ado, can I please introduce Torsten Ryle, who is the CEO of Natural Motion. So before we get jumping to any questions, um, if you could just give us an introduction to, to yourself and uh, Natural Motion. Yeah, of course. So I, I, I run a company called Natural Motion, which I um, founded, uh, co-founded uh, about 13 years ago um, in Oxford University. Um, we are uh, now about 300 people, just over 300 people, and have offices in Oxford, uh, in London, um, as well as in Brighton. And uh, what we do is um, specialize in making games for uh, iPhone and iPad. Um, our most successful game so far is CSR Racing, which I'll um, hopefully show to you a little bit later. Um, but we actually started slightly different. We started uh, creating animation technology for games. So that's something I'm going to talk about a little bit later, just to show you a little bit the journey from very um, basic coding to then creating animation software to then creating games that are played now by uh, millions of people. We actually have over 100 million users just for CSR Racing alone. So talking of that journey, um, can you tell us a bit about what inspired you to start coding and what, what took you there in the first place? So, so I w when I grew up, um, I wasn't actually that interested in coding at all. Um, I was really interested in playing the guitar and I, I spent most of my time, um, of the daytime, just doing that. Um, but then I, I came across a book um, called The Blind Watchmaker by Richard Dawkins and I really started to get interested in, in biology. So it's a book about evolutionary biology uh, and I was really fascinated to understand how life evolved, um, how life worked. And I was trying to understand really what was behind it and, and was fascinated by the, um, by the mechanisms um, behind that. And there was one thing um, that really captured my attention and, and sparked my inspiration. And that was something that Richard Dawkins called biomorphs. And if we can have a look at the first slide, I just want to show you what these look like. So these are the biomorphs that um, were in the book, The Blind Watchmaker. And what these are are very simple, um, algorithmically created drawings um, of creatures. Um, so there's an algorithm that draws a creature. And what uh, Richard Dawkins, the author, did, um, who programmed um, this particular application, was to create a whole variety of these creatures and pick the ones that he liked the best. And then from each of the ones that he picked, he would create variations, or the algorithm would create random variations. And then he would pick again the one that he would like best. And that way he was able to manually evolve different types of creatures. Some of them looked like insects, some of them looked like spiders, and others would look like planes even. So he could almost mimic the process of evolution um, by having this computer program and by playing essentially evolution and natural selection and selecting these different creatures. And I found that fascinating that, that you could create something like this and create all these different shapes. So I wanted to find out how that worked. And I taught myself um, basic to do this. I bought a computer, back then it was an Atari ST, and I taught myself to um, use Omicron Basic, uh, which is what it was back then. It was a long time ago, probably about 20 years ago or so. And um, Ed is smirking. <laughs> I don't remember that long ago. <laughs> Omicron Basic, I think it was called. And what I, what, I, um, what I tried to do is just, just learn how to program, to reprogram this algorithm here, these biomorphs. And I remember it was really hard. And that was one of the first lessons I learned when I 
when I learned how to program is programming is actually not that easy. Um, you can't just start typing something and all of a sudden something magic appears. You have to start solving problems after problems and and make sure that your program runs and does what you want it to do. So it was quite frustrating, but after a while, after a few days, I started to get into it, and eventually I managed to get it to work, and I was able to do um, what Richard Dawkins did in his book. I was able to evolve these creatures on the screen um, into anything I wanted, whether it was, as I said, spiders or insects or vehicles or anything else. And that, to me, was one of the biggest breakthroughs. And it was actually life-changing for me because, A, I realized Actually, I can teach myself um, to learn how to program. And secondly, I realized I can use this to solve problems that, um, or create things that I want to create. And the third thing um, that was important is I really got interested in biology. I really started to understand that actually there are fundamental principles behind biology that we can understand and that we can simulate. And um, I was doing all of this whilst I was in the, in the army in Germany. And uh, I read the book. Um, I programmed this program and I decided to apply to, um, to Oxford University to study biology there, very naively. I hadn't done biology at school, just all on the basis of reading the book and programming this application. And um, I got accepted and started um, uh, to study there. And I got more and more into programming. I got more and more into understanding what actually drives biology and what are the different types of mechanisms behind it. So I started to program more and more and did lots of different... Um, lots of different applications, but I also switched languages. Um, as I said, I started with BASIC, I then switched to Java, because Java back then was the, the language um, of the time. But, but after that I realized that wasn't fast enough, so I switched to C++, and eventually did all of my coding in C++. And I want to show you one of the things I, I was working on, which is um, uh, genetic regulatory um, networks. So if you look at the next slide, I was really interested to see what, what happened if you created a, a string of DNA um, that is completely random. So as, as you may know, DNA consists of four letters. So DNA is the, um, the molecule that stores all of our information. It's made of four letters, and those letters create a long, long string of um, information that contains genes. And those genes do lots of different things in our body, body, but they also switch each other on. And I wanted to understand how do they switch each other on? Um, what are the mechanisms behind that? Could I even generate a completely random string of DNA and things would start to switch each other on in a way that would make sense? And it turned out that was the case. So if you look at the slide here, on the right you can see this really long string of random letters. And then in the, at the bottom you see some of the rhythms that started to come out of these letters. So there were genes in this um, in the sequence and one gene would switch on another random gene, and that would switch on another random gene, and it would start to look really chaotic, but after a while it would go into a rhythm that wasn't chaotic anymore, even though the underlying information was random, and that's called complexity. So if you look at the pattern at the bottom, you can see it becomes a regular pattern that started to essentially um, develop out of this random string of DNA. And without going into too much detail, I, I found it really fascinating. I found fascinating that we could get ordered patterns out of a random string of information. And that was all based on, on my um, original ideas of, of, of programming and using, um, and using the programming to try and understand biological simulations. But then I thought genetic regulatory algorithms are actually quite similar to what's called neural networks. Or in other words, the way genes switch each other on is quite similar to the way neurons in our brain switch each other on. So I thought, well, maybe that can be used to create something 
even cooler. And if you look at the next slide, um, I was looking at could I create a simple neural network, if you like, a simple brain that I could hook up to a, a creature, a physically simulated creature, and make that creature walk using the same principles I just talked about, which is we start with a random network and we hook it up um, to a character and we see what comes out of it. And if we look at the next um, slide, you can see what those results look like if we play the video. You can see it wasn't impressive at all. So this character is trying to walk, but it's not very good at it. And this was using a combination of um, physics simulation and uh, a neural network that's trying to drive a physics simulation. But you can see it's very random. But if we look at the next slide, um, we spend a lot more time on trying to understand how a body works. So the programming once went one step further. We tried to simulate the biomechanics of the body. If we look at the video here, you can see that someone created actually a walker that if you put them onto a slope, even without any power, it will walk in a humanoid in a, in a realistic way. So what we try to do is simulate all of this. We try to create the biomechanics, the physical simulation, and the neural network that would control that physical simulation. And the goal was always to make this character walk like a human. But there was one component missing, and that was artificial evolution, because on its own, this neural network won't know what to do. So what we did was we used artificial evolution to create something that hopefully would do the job. And the way that works is that we take a neural network, which is completely random, and then we hook it up to this character. And usually what you would get is just completely random movements because there's no information in there. But, but we create 100 different types of neural networks, and they're all random. And some of them actually will make a movement that makes sense, and usually that will be taking one step. So what we do with that network that takes one step we take that and we create children uh, from that network. We create offspring. And all that means is that we create variants um, of that original network that are slightly different from that original network. So there's a parent network and then 100 children that are all slightly different from that parent network. And some of those will be worse than the parent and some of them will be better in terms of walking. So some of them actually might walk um, for two steps or even three steps. And again, we take that one and we create children of that and we repeat that process over and over again. And one of the biggest breakthroughs for me was to see that actually working. And what literally happened was I was running those simulations overnight because computers were quite slow at the time. And I was um, waking up the next morning, looked at the computer, and I was able to see something that started to walk without me actually telling it how to do it. And I want to show you that video as well because that's, that's the next one that's coming up. So this is generation zero of this process. So this is a network that can't walk at all. And as you can see, it's, it's, it's not very good. But now after five generations of this artificial evolution process I just talked about, you can see that this character takes the first steps. And after a few more generations, it takes a few more steps still. Nearly made it. But now after 20 generations, this creature walks without falling over. And this is what I find so fascinating about coding. You can just start with an idea that you have, and you can put together the things that you've learned in terms of the coding, in terms of artificial evolution, neural networks, and also physics simulation, and put all of these things together, and something comes out of it that really surprises you, that you didn't actually put into it. The computer can solve these problems for you, and at the same time, you can understand biological principles. 
but then you can have fun with it. It doesn't just need to be this kind of evolution. You can actually take a character that's now fully involved and do stuff with it. So in the next video, I want to show you what happens if we put the character in an environment and the environment has an obstacle in it. So you can see the obstacle and the character. And as you would expect, the character falls over the obstacle. But the really cool thing is now, if I move this obstacle a little bit to the right, which is what you see here, you get a different type of interaction. And this is not something that you would usually get. If, if you're familiar with um, computer games, with video games, the way moving creatures or characters are, um, are done in video games is that you actually animate everything by hand or you digitize real human movement and then you play it back at more or less appropriate times. So that's not what we're doing here. We actually don't play any animation back. We use the coding that we've just talked about to simulate all the processes in real time. So we have this idea that if we take what we've done with our coding and actually translate it into a video game, we would have completely interactive characters in the video game for the first time. That wouldn't be based on playback animation, but actually would be fully simulated, could be truly surprising and fully interactive. And that's when, uh, when we started the company Natural Motion, which is just over, it's about 13 years ago now. We had this dream that we could take all of this research based on the programming and create fully interactive characters in video games. Well, it turned out that at the time, uh, consoles and PCs actually went fast enough to run all of this in real time. So we first used this technology to create virtual stuntmen in movies in particular, but also for TV commercials. So if you watch Lord of the Rings or uh, 10,000 BC or Troy and many other movies, they use our technology based on these approaches to create stuntmen and, and stunt scenes that would be too difficult and too dangerous to do for real people. But then we realized eventually everything became fast enough and the consoles were becoming fast enough so we could run the technology in real time. And I want to show you what that looks like as well. So the next video is of our engine called Euphoria. And this engine is based on the programming that I talked about before, which is that you have a character that's based on a skeleton, on a physical simulation, and on a neural network, on a nervous system eventually, that controls it. So that's what you can see here. But now we have a full character, as you can see, not just these very simple creatures. And once you have this approach, you can literally throw anything at this character and it will fully interact with it. So that's what you see here. And this was actually all running on an on a Xbox 360. Now the cool thing about this is that everything now is interactive and surprising. You don't have to put all of that surprise into it. And these are some of our, our bread and butter reactions. You can see that the character can feel where he's been hit. Um, it can actually feel the pain. That's all based on programming as well and it can react to the input that's coming into, into the character. We can push him around, we have balancing behaviors that make the character try, stay on its two feet. And we can actually have characters interact with each other as well. A and one of the things that we've actually learned whilst we were doing all of this, it's not just enough to make things look realistic, they, they need to look believable. So it wasn't enough to have a character fall down the stairs in a way that was realistic, they actually needed to fall down the stairs the way stuntmen would do it, which is that they would try and roll and roll and roll, because that's the reference that we get from Hollywood, and that's what we, what we as the audience believe is realistic. So we had to use our programming to put all of this into the character's brain so that they would behave like a Hollywood stuntman, but not like a real person would. And that was the Euphoria engine, and we found that really exciting. But there was another thing that we found exciting about this. Um, 
if you move away from just playing stuff back, but actually use programming um, to make these characters be alive, then things can happen that are what's called emergent, that you didn't expect. And I want to show you that in the next video. So here we put two characters together on the screen, um, actually a little bit too close. We were running um, the simulation whilst we were having a product meeting, and you can see what happened. The characters started to squabble and protect their own personal space. So that's not something that we actually put in from a programming point of view. We just put in that the characters should protect their, their, their upper body and they have a balancing behavior. But as a result, they started to squabble with each other. And actually, this video went on for another 20 minutes. And we thought this was really cool. So that's how the company started. And um, that's, that's how I got into coding. And that's why programming is something that is is truly empowering because if you have an idea of something that you want to do and if you stick with it, you can come up with something that, that even surprises you. And now is a really amazing time to do all of this because um, not only um, is it possible to learn programming languages online, but also you have so much computing power now, whether it's uh, on, a, on a computer like a Mac or whether it's on an iPhone, that you can do all of these things that we used to do and wait for several hours, you can now do in seconds, uh, which, which I think is, is really amazing. So you talked a bit before about obviously you started with Euphoria working on consoles, but now Natural Motion is is solely focused on mobile games. How have you found the approach to creating gameplay and creating kind of the games themselves on mobile has changed? So our technology, um, we still license to console developers. Um, so if you look at some of the biggest games, whether it's GTA 4 or GTA 5, Red Dead Redemption, they use our technology to drive their characters. But on mobile, we make games ourselves. I was mentioning earlier, CSR Racing, another game is Clumsy Ninja. And one of the things that we've learned is that mobile gaming is quite different to console gaming. On a console, you sit down in front of the TV and you, um, you, know, you, you, you spend two hours or so, maybe longer, to play a game. Whereas on mobile, um, you maybe wait for the bus or you have a little bit of time in between, um, in between lessons at school. So you, you play for a few minutes, but you can't play for a very long time. So when we program games um, on mobile, we make sure that they can be played in a bite-sized manner. And we use um, what we call the Starbucks line test, which means that you need to be able to start and finish a game session whilst you're waiting for your coffee to arrive at Starbucks. And that's always served us really well to make something that works really well on mobile. But at the same time, one thing that, that might be worth mentioning, um, if you're interested in coding, um, the devices, the, the, the iOS devices, are so powerful now that you can treat them essentially as game consoles. There's so much performance now on these devices that it really pays off to make games look absolutely amazing. And we found that's always really worked for us. If you make a game look amazing, feel amazing when you touch it, make it very responsive, and really spend a lot of time coding that and really make it feel very slick, the game will be much, much more successful. Because what we've learned is that people recommend games to each other I was trying to get my iPhone out, um, like, like this, they actually show it to each other. So spending time on making your game, being a game that you want to show off to someone else, um, really pays off. So then, in the, the modern mobile market, when you release a game, um, it's, that's not the end of the story like it was in the console market. So do you feel that now that you can update your games on the fly, you know, whenever you feel like it, uh, as well as react to the markets, do you feel like the quality at that initial launch has been compromised at all now? I think the quality at launch still has to be very high, and, and we spend a lot of time um, making sure that we do quali what's called quality assurance QA, um, and that we actually test the game on users. And, and one thing that might be worth mentioning, 
uh, which again um, might be interesting to you if, if you're getting into coding. If you write an app, um, for example, um, for an iPhone, it really pays off to, um, to give it to your friends or even to test it more widely before you launch it. You want to make sure that people have played it and people have played with it and used it. And we call this user testing. And, and the trick is to sit down next to someone, to give them what you've programmed, and see whether they get on with it. And the really difficult thing is not to say anything. You have to be completely silent and not say, no, you're supposed to press this or that. That's always the tempting thing, and I always have to force myself to do that. But if you can do that, and if you can watch someone play your game or use your application, and they get stuck somewhere, and you take a note where they got stuck, you can fix it. And then next time around, you have the new version and give it to them, they won't get stuck anymore. And if you do that over and over again, and we do it um, religiously at Natural Motion, we do it several times a week um, before the launch of a game, then you have a game that's really easy to use by people. And if that then gets released to millions and millions of people on the App Store, you have a much better chance. So that's the launch of the game. But you're right, obviously, launch is not everything, right? It used to be on console that you launched the game, it was in a shop, and that was it, and you could go on holiday and kind of relax a little bit. That's not the case on, um, on uh, iOS, because once you launch a game, that's when it really starts, because that's when all of the users start using the game, and they want updates, they want new content. Um, we need to make sure that we do bug fixes, and we even run events for people. So we run, for example, in CSR Racing, uh, events every two weeks. So every two weeks, we give people a new competition to play. We give people to like a new way to interact with the game, and that's become pretty much as important as actually launching a good game, um, you know, once you've done that. So now's probably a good time to have a look at CSR and talk to us a bit about kind of how that was successful and, and yeah, sounds good. why it... Um, oh, I've got the, I've got the, the um, iPad there. So has anyone here heard of CSR? Do you want to raise your hand? There's one person, <laughs> two, <laughs> three. Fans over there, Excellent, yeah. <laughs> brilliant. So um, the CSR uh, launch really took us by surprise. It, it was a game that... Um, we made because some of us are really into cars and wanted to create something that almost felt like you owned a car um, on an iOS device, an, an, an iPhone or an iPad. And it, it, it really smashed all of our expe expectations in terms of commercial success. So this is what the game looks like here. And this is the Bugatti Veyron, which we just, just launched in the game. And, and hopefully what you can see is um, that we spend a lot of time making this car look amazing. You might also ask, what do cars have to do with all the animation technology you showed earlier? And the answer is, not a lot. But one of the great things about coding is that if you learn principles, how to code, um, how to make games for iOS, um, then you actually start to be able to transfer that to lots of different genres. And that's what we did um, with, with CSR Racing. I'll show you a little bit later an app that uses all of our technology, all of our animation technology called Clumsy Ninja. But this game doesn't use that much animation. So here's the uh, Bugatti Veyron, one of the fastest cars in the world. And what we spent time on was to work really uh, closely with the car manufacturers. We used their um, CAD models to make the cars look as realistic as possible. We got the colors signed off by the car manufacturers. And we spent a lot of time on what's called shaders. So, so shaders are little computer programs that make different types of materials and surfaces either shiny or not shiny and reflect light in different ways. And if you look at this Veyron here, you can see that it's really shiny in some places. Um, for example, the windows or some of the side panels, but not shiny at all, for example, on the tires. Those are all little computer programs that we have to write to make those materials look really realistic. But I'm going to do what CSR Racing is supposed to be about, which is racing. So let's, let's start a race. I'm going to go one back. So I don't embarrass myself with the bad time here. 
So CSR racing um, fits the Starbucks line test, right? You can do a race very quickly because it's a drag race. It's not taking several minutes, but usually just several seconds. It's all about the starts. This was a slow start, which is <laughs> disappointing. Let's have a look. I'm going to use my Nitro as well. Pretty good time, actually. It's better than the time than I did in the AMG GT last week. <laughs> and in fact, actually better than David Coulthard's time last week as well. So I'm very pleased with that. Um, so that's really what the game is about. It's very short loops, as you can see. And, and we try to make it look amazing as if you actually owned the car, but we try to keep it very short. And that game so far, as I said, has over, over 100 million users and um, is, is, is very high in the charts still. We launched it over, over two years ago and we were super surprised by the success and are, are incredibly proud of that game, actually. So you talked a bit before about how coding isn't necessarily an, an easy skill to pick up. Um, but obviously it comes with its high rewards. What would you say were the kind of biggest misconceptions you have or you've heard about um, coding in the games industry? Well, cer certainly one of them is, is that coding is easy. And, and like so many things um, in life, without wanting to get too philosophical, um, it really very often pays off to stick with something and to overcome initial hurdles um, because it's incredibly rewarding afterwards. And, and coding is, is another example of that. Um, it's not the easiest thing initially to get into, but when you do get into it and you stick with it, it is incredibly rewarding. Um, so that's, I think, probably one of the first things. Um, another one is that um, coding is not a solitary um, uh, endeavor. It's not something you do on your own in the bedroom. You can, and to be honest, I did literally that at the beginning, but eventually um, you tend to work with other people because it's not just about one person coding. Um, even if it's just about coding, you have to have usually different specialists. So when you look at what we've been doing for our, uh, for our animations, we eventually needed specialists in artificial intelligence who created the neural networks, in genetic algorithms who created the optimization, in physical um, simulation which created the bodies of the characters, but then all kinds of other things like graphics, etc., etc. When you then make a game, you need all of those specialists, but you also need specialists who, who uh, do gameplay, programming, and we then work together with artists and designers um, and a whole um, really big team. So a coder tends to be in a team of maybe 5, 10, 20, 50 people, depending on how big the game is and you know, how big the application is. But yeah, it's definitely something that you work, um, you work with other people with. So when hiring a crack team to create something like CSR Racing, um, what kind of attributes do you look for in a coder? So, the, so usually what, what we look for in a coder is really good logical thinking, but also um, a good maths background. So if you've studied computer science or science or math, that's already a good start for coding in general. But that doesn't mean you have to do it. If you haven't studied any of those subjects, it's still really worth trying coding because you just might have a knack for it. And when I started, uh, you know, I wasn't that deep into math and certainly hadn't studied science at that point, um, but I loved it. And... Um, and that really helped me get through it. And the other thing that we look for is, is passion. Um, you have to be passionate about it. You really have to want to do something cool with the coding and really um, you know, love coding itself. That makes a huge difference. If it's just a job that you kind of do because you have to, um, you probably won't be the best programmer in the world. But if you, if you really love it, I think you have a good chance. So then what sort of languages do you recommend people look at now to, to, to pick up? Well, it's interesting. I, like I said, I started with BASIC, um, and I guess BASIC is still around, but probably not as widely used as it was about um, 20 years ago. Um, languages that we use at Natural Motion in particular are, are C++ um, and also C Sharp. Um, so those are languages that I would recommend. Um, C++ is one of the most advanced languages, um, but it's also very powerful. And 
when I showed you the simulations earlier, they were all based on C++ because we eventually needed the performance to do all the simulations as fast as possible. But what I recommend is, is for you to look online and just look at the different languages that are around and see which ones um, you like most and which ones you find easiest to get into. For me, it was basic and then Java, and then eventually C++. I had to force myself a little bit. I didn't find it that easy, but eventually I managed to, to learn that as well. And are there any particular platforms or programs or tools that you would recommend people look into? Well, the Mac is a great platform. Um, uh, in fact, the, uh, the, the coding environment on the, on the Mac is called Xcode, and it's actually available for free on the Mac. Um, so you know, once you have a Mac, you can pretty much get started straight away um, and, and start coding. There are other platforms as well. So um, if you actually want to program on a whole games engine, uh, there are platforms and games engines called Unity, and that give you a lot of um, coding, a lot of, um, I guess, head start already in terms of a lot of functionality when it comes to visualizing what you want to do uh, when it comes to basic game engine functionality. So there are a whole lot of codes available, um, a whole lot of um, different kinds of games engines and also coding environments. And there are lots of companies that prefer using software that's created in-house, and there are other companies that will prefer to use off-the-shelf products or a combination of the both. Is there any particular preference that you have or you've seen work really well? I think it depends on what your strengths are. Um, so it's probably worth to say that in terms of coding, you don't want to reinvent the wheel every single time. So it's not necessary to write everything from scratch. So, so for example, early on when we showed those characters, we didn't actually write the physics engine that would drive the actual basic algorithms to simulate what's called rigid body dynamics, essentially Newton's laws, because that would have been too much work. We did write, on the other hand, the neural networks and the genetic algorithms. So my view in general is if it's already available on the market and ideally free, you should probably use that. Um, and then you do, do the things where you can really add value and really do the things that you can do differently to other people. Just a couple more questions before we sort of pass it over to you guys to ask anything you have on your mind. Um, if you were to start to coding now, if this was kind of day one for you, what sort of technologies out there would, would really excite you? Um, do you mean in terms of hardware or yeah, software? Yeah, in terms of the kind of things people are now starting to use. Yeah. Um, well, it's an interesting one. So I, I used to be um, really interested by games consoles, and I, I still kind of like games consoles, but to be honest, the thing that, that really caught my attention was, was the iPhone, and it was specifically the iPhone, because it's so powerful, and there's so many of them, and everyone uses them, that if you make an app on an iPhone, and it's a good app, you can have literally millions and millions of people using that app. And I think that's really, that's really quite amazing. And at the same time, you have um, with the App Store distribution platform that gets something to a huge number of people very quickly. And that was really hard in the past. Um, but I also actually find virtual reality fascinating. I think the ability to, to put on goggles and to actually put yourself into a completely different world. And there are obviously now devices like the Oculus Rift that are coming out. I think it's fascinating, and I think that's a whole um, area that um, you know will bring all kinds of innovation um, that we haven't seen before. So my final question is: of all the things you, you know, 13 years at Natural Motion and studying and sort of creating Euphoria, all that kind of thing, what was the sort of most rewarding moment for you after all the hard work and seeing something actually happen on the screen? Oh, that's a that's a that's a good question. So. Um, one of the biggest eureka moments, I would say, was what I showed earlier, and that was when I, s when I woke up in the morning and I saw this little creature walk on the screen, and I didn't tell ho it how to do it, it just learned it itself. That was, that was I mean, I remember that really well. Um, I just saw it on the monitor and I thought, this is absolutely amazing. It was like super, super motivating. Um, but then, you know, after that, one of the most rewarding things I found was when we realized that 
that the things that we came up with, with our creativity and with the coding, putting it into practice, that you could get it in front of millions and millions of people. And then remember, um, we should probably show Clemson Ninja actually yeah. um, as an example. I remember uh, the first time I saw someone else in the public play Clumsy Ninja. I was on the bus and someone in front of me played Clumsy Ninja and I thought we made that game. It ca you know, came from nowhere. Um, we applied our creativity, imagination and coding to create something that now other people enjoy and that I find incredibly rewarding. So that little walking biped turned into the app we're about to, to see exactly. now. Yeah. So let me just show that to you quickly. Has anyone here seen Clumsy Ninja as well? Excellent, brilliant. Um, so Clumsy Ninja is, a, is, is also a game we're, we're very proud of and this really uses pretty much all the technology I showed earlier. It uses a full physics simulation, it uses um, a little brain that controls the character and then we try to pair that with something that's fully interactive. And I want to show you, for those of you who haven't seen the game yet, um, uh, what it looks like and for those who have already seen it, maybe give you some ideas as to how you can very subtly interact with the character. So, so this guy is fully interactive and I can just take his hand and you can see that he actually realizes that. So he looks at his hand, I can pull him up, and if I pull him up even further, you can see that the whole simulation kicks in, and he doesn't really know what to do. So let me just see if I can put him down. So if you look at the way he lands, he actually has a full balancing algorithm, so I can actually prod him a little bit, and all of this is simulated, so this was a little bit too much of a prod. But he uses all of the techniques I talked about earlier to try and balance. And I can actually take his hand and maybe pull him a little bit to one side and he will try and deal with that as well. And again, <laughs> he's wondering what I'm doing with him. I can take him like this and pull him up like that. And usually he's a bit confused. Let's see what he... Now he's trying to... He's actually trying to reach my finger. You can probably just about see that sometimes to try and... Oh, now he's just given up. <laughs> Used to the abuse. <laughs> exactly, he's <laughs> probably seen this before. So you can do all kinds of things with this character, but hopefully what, I, what I'm able to show with this is that if you put all of these different simulation algorithms together, you can create something that feels a little bit like real life. This, this guy to us feels like he's real. He has a character, he has a personality. He ha clearly has seen something as well. So let me just see what he's seen. Oh, there's, a, there's a chicken. He likes the chicken. Um, and that, that for us is really rewarding, the fact that you can put all of this thing, these things together and use algorithms and programming to create something that's, that's fully interactive. You can, actually, um, you can actually pet him as well, let me just see, and he, he really likes that too. So. And you get extra points for it. So anyway, that's Comes in Ninja. That's, that's available on the App Store if you'd like to download it and play with it on your, on your iPhone and iPad. Okay, great. So now we're going to hand over to you guys. I believe we have a couple of microphones either side. Does anyone have any questions? Straight away over there. You know when you said um, the notepad, uh, not notepad, when you're talking about coding in different languages, what's the difference between C++, uh, C++ and C Sharp? Because I've only done C++ since I started coding. It's a good question. So I haven't actually been using C Sharp that much myself in the past. Um, it's actually all of our coders. We have a pretty big team of, of coders. We actually have over 300 people in the company. Um, C++, um, they're both object-oriented languages, and um, C Sharp is an interpreted language, whereas um, C++ is, is compiled. So overall, performance of C++ is probably that little bit higher than C Sharp, but C Sharp is also a very fast language compared to, for example, Java in the past. Uh, okay. Um, I pretty much play CSR racing every single day when I wake up. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> what made you want to make the game? Um, well, um, as I was 
mentioning earlier, we, we all really like cars at Natural Motion. Well, not all of us, but quite a few of us. I, I do. And we, we, we really like racing games um, that were out on iPhone too, but we felt that with a lot of the racing games, you actually had to sit down for ten, 10 minutes sometimes to actually do several laps and kind of drive around the track. But we felt that, you know, most people don't play like that. Most people want to play maybe when they wake up for a couple of minutes before they brush their teeth or, uh, you know, maybe when they're waiting for a bus. So we wanted to combine the best of both worlds. Really amazing looking cars because you can do that um, on an iPhone because there's so much performance. But combine that with these really short races so you can play them really quickly and still have time to do other things in your life. Anyone else? Oh, at the back there. Are you considering <coughs> using Swift, or you? How do you code the uh, iPhone apps? Yeah, so, so, so we we are, and um, in fact, um, we are actually trying to make use of, of as many tools as possible, in particular when it comes to performance. So one of the things that that we're really excited by is is Metal, um, because it gives us additional graphics performance. And if you've looked at our games in the past. We really care about visuals and making them look amazing. And anything that gives us additional performance, and, and Metal in particular is a good example for that, um, we, we really make use of. So we're, we're all over Metal at the moment. Hi. Um, excluding yours, what is your favorite game? Oh, that's a good question. Um, what's my favorite game? Uh, on, on any kind of platform? OK, uh, probably at the moment, uh, GTA V. I've I've played a lot of that game, um, uh, and I think it's extremely well done. And we've been inspired in general by Rockstar because they they really care about quality. They really try and create a world that you're fully immersed in, and um, you know that's something that we try to create too. We make different types of games, um, to be honest, but the the sense of quality and just trying to make something really awesome for the user is something that's really important to us as well. Are there any hidden cars or cheats in CSR racing? <laughs> Are, th are there any cheats? You or mean? hidden cars? Hidden cars. Um, I don't think there are hidden cars as such, but there are exciting cars coming up. That's all I can say that are not in the game yet. And how do I beat the boss? How do you beat the boss? Because I've been stuck for the past three weeks. Oh, which, 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 which tier? Five. Oh, really? Um, well, you shouldn't be stuck. We should have a chat afterwards. I'll, I'll give you some tips about the start. <laughs> I'm going to ask one more question then. Right. I want to ask, which is, if you were to go back to the beginning of natural motion, uh, knowing everything you know now, what one piece of advice would you give yourself? Um, well, actually, um, I will probably go back even further. Um, and I remember when I, was, when I was 12 years old, I think I was 12, 11 or 12, um, I, I had a ZX Spectrum and um, I played a lot on the Spectrum. And I started typing in um, from the magazines different types of basic pr program. And, um, and, and that worked. I mean, I didn't do much co um, coding, but it worked. And I remember then I bought a book on assembler for the ZX Spectrum, and I gave up, um, I think, after 20 minutes, thinking this is way too difficult. And I wish I hadn't. Looking back, I probably would have started coding much, much earlier. And now also knowing how much I like, know about actually sticking with something a little bit longer, um, probably had I given it one more hour, I probably would have started to get really interested in assembler. So that's probably what I would, st would have done so differently. So natural motion could be even older right now. Probably, <laughs> probably. <laughs> OK, I think that wraps us up then. Thank you very much, everyone, for coming out. Thank you very much. Thank you.